guys, gals, and non-binary pals of Audio Podcast Land, and welcome to another episode of the Bioconics Wrestling Podcast. I am your lovely host, Mikey. You can find me all over the social medias at Pop Culture Geek. You can also follow me and everyone here at Vibe Tribe Productions, where we got a lot of actual play podcasts and pop culture podcasts happening all at once and we got a little something for everyone so make sure you like us all over the internets to stay up to date on everything we got as you can hear i am holding down the fort by myself tonight this is going to be a solo adventure my other co-hosts are busy doing other things for a variety of reasons but fear not i will do my best to have the energy of four people which is going to be difficult. But I am super excited for tonight's episode because we are still on the road to WrestleMania for WWE, as well as some exciting stuff happening all over in the different promotions such as Impact, AEW, New Japan Wrestling, which I will get into as we go on. But to give you a little preview of what this episode is going to entail, We're going to cover some quick wrestling news that has happened within the last couple of weeks, and then we're going to jump into the meat and the potatoes of this episode, where I will be going over NXT's Vengeance Day pay-per-view, as well as previewing New Japan's Battle in the Valley and Impact's No Surrender, and then ending the episode with previewing WWE's Elimination Chamber, which at the time of this recording takes place in a matter of days. And in addition, once we end the episode, I will give a rundown of what you can expect with the next episode. So why don't we not waste any more time and let's jump right in. As far as wrestling news goes for this iteration of the Biconics, The only really two big pieces of news that have come out within the last two weeks involve a medical emergency and potentially a new free agent going to either WWE, AEW, or wherever they feel they go, which we'll cover in a little bit. But let's start with the medical emergency. So the first news story to hit the wrestling world was news broke out about a week ago that WWE Hall of Famer Jerry the King Lawler suffered a stroke and had to be rushed to the hospital. Now, if you have no idea who Jerry the King Lawler is, as I mentioned, he is a WWE Hall of Famer legend. He used to do commentary with Michael Cole in the mid-2000s, beginning of the 2010s, so to speak. Jerry the King Lawler has had previous health issues. In fact, as mentioned in prior episodes of the Biconics, Jerry the King Lawler notoriously had a heart attack on live WWE television on Monday Night Raw and subsequently has been trying to stay healthy where unfortunately now he seems to have a stroke, but an update on the whole situation is that he is out of the hospital and he's doing okay. So that is good to hear when it comes to that kind of stuff. But with the recent passing of one half of the Briscoe brothers not too long ago, 
It's very imperative, especially for WWE legends, to stay safe and to stay healthy. I joke about this all the time, but DDP Yoga has been credited for saving many wrestling legends' lives, all the way from Jake the Snake Roberts to a bunch of other legends who have thanked DDP Yoga, made by Diamonds Dallin Page, for helping them turn their life around, not only physically, mentally, but also overcoming things such as addiction and those things. So from all of us here at the Biconics, we do wish Jerry the King Lawler a speedy recovery and a road filled with nothing but positivity and good things. Now, the next piece of news has been a recent development, which I'm actually very interested and excited to talk about. So not even 48 hours ago at the time of this recording, New Japan had one of their shows in Japan. So New Japan Wrestling had one of their shows in the Dome. And this piece of news has to deal with the de facto leader of the Bullet Club currently, the Switchblade, Jay White. So to preface this, at this New Japan show, this was a loser leaves Japan match between the Switchblade Jay White and former Bullet Club member Hikuleo. So essentially, a loser leaves New Japan matches. As it say, the loser will have to leave New Japan and never come back. So when I read about this match, I wasn't aware of Jay White's contract status. I was aware of Hikuleo's status with his contract. So essentially what I thought was going to happen is that Hikuleo was going to lose. He was going to leave New Japan and the rumors are swirling that AEW and WWE are looking to sign him and the Gorillas of Destiny that it seems once that all their contracts are up. However, what I was not prepared for was the end result of the match. So towards the end of the match, we saw Hikuleo after Jay White gave him the Bullet Club, basically handshake or whatever. Hikuleo choked, slammed him to the ground and pinned the switchblade Jay White for a clean one, two, three. So I was not prepared for this to happen, but it seems that the leader of the Bullet Club is no longer in Japan. Which makes it very interesting because, and I'll get into more detail about this later, it seems that Jay White's contract as per Fightful Select, which if you haven't listened to them or checked out their news, please go ahead and do so because they do really good when it comes to providing accurate information. Jay White's contract officially ends sometime between New Japan's upcoming battle in the Valley show and wrestlemania and it looks as if wwe and aew are sending out feelers for jay white to sign with them and for these companies to grab another big name so what are my thoughts on this it's quite simple i will be honest i am just a new fan when it comes to new japan wrestling 
And I've only been invested in it for about a year, year and a half now, but I am aware of all the major players that kind of make up New Japan, as well as all the factions that make up New Japan as well. And for me, seeing JY potentially wrestle in other companies besides New Japan is very interesting, but it also makes me excited. However, this isn't the first time that JY has appeared on other wrestling promotions. As mentioned before on the Biconics, while there are multiple wrestling federations and promotions out there, usually we take a look at what we call the big four or the main four that all of us Biconics hosts religiously watch to a certain degree, and that is WWE, AEW, Impact Wrestling, and New Japan. So, Jay White, this is, isn't his first time on one of the big four pay-per-views or potentially being there because last year in 2022, Jay White did appear for a couple of appearances on Impact Wrestling. There was a storyline going on between Bullet Club and the Good Brothers, which is Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows where the tag titles were defended and also just inner turmoil and all that good stuff. So it was a pretty good time. Now the prospect of Jay White going to AEW or WWE is very fascinating because it can go two ways. If Jay White decides to sign with AEW Immediately, the one thing I can think of is you have a couple of people there just based on the last year or two that could set up some good feuds for kind of the first round of storytelling. Obviously, the big one is to have Jay White enter a feud with Kenny Omega because the history of those two in New Japan fans years. So there's history already established. And you can slowly build up this feud to have a classic at one of the four major pay-per-views that AEW has. The other person that kind of comes to mind immediately based on previous history, especially from the Forbidden Door pay-per-view back in June of 2022, is to have Jay White and Adam Cole feud for a little bit now. In the lead-up to Forbidden Door for the Fatal 4-Way for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, Adam Cole and Jay White were involved in this match with Okada, Kaziku Okada, and Hangman Page. So this was a fun match at Forbidden Door, but JY can have a feud with Adam Cole because they turned on each other leading into that match at Forbidden Door. And now that Adam Cole is back, from injury and all that good stuff, it could potentially be a good thing. Now, on the other side, if Jay White signs with WWE immediately, my first feud I would love to see is Jay White versus AJ Styles. There's already history there with Bullet Club. AJ currently is has the Good Brothers, which is Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. And once AJ comes back from injury, that would be such a fun feud. Another feud, and I might get some hate for this, is JY versus Cody Rhodes. Because again, Cody went to Japan for a little bit. They somewhat cross paths. And I wouldn't be upset with the little program between these two. 
Either way, I'm interested to see. Now, another option that I think could possibly happen is, is that since Jay White left New Japan, that doesn't bar him from being the face of the U.S. side for New Japan. So Noah and Strong. So potentially, there could be that Jay White runs the United States for a little bit, which would be a lot of fun. At Battle of the Valley, which I'll discuss in more detail in a little bit, he's going to be facing Eddie Kingston in a match at Battle of the Valley. So that should be a lot of fun. But that covers the wrestling news that I have for this episode. So let's keep this going and let's jump into... Quickly, I do want to jump into previewing... Well, actually, no. Scratch that. Let's jump into reviewing NXT Vengeance Day. So, Vengeance Day is an annual pay-per-view for WWE's third brand, or developmental brand, if you want to call it that, NXT. Now, what made this one special is that this was the first pay-per-view for NXT since 2021, where they traveled outside of the Performance Center in Florida and brought this pay-per-view out to the public and started traveling again. And I, as the sole co-host of the Biconics who watches NXT and reviews it, I am going to be the one anyways is going to review it. So, let's begin NXT Vengeance Day 2023 hailed, took place in the Spectrum Dome in North Carolina. And this was on February 4th, 2023. I'm going to go over the matches, give my thoughts on them. And at the end, I will give you also, the listening audience, a preview as to what happened in the Fallout episode of NXT and where I think we're going for the next pay-per-view stand and deliver in April. So as mentioned, Vengeance Day hails in the Spectrum Dome for North Carolina, and we opened up the pay-per-view with the NXT North American Championship. Champion Wesley was defending the title against challenger Dijak. So before I get into the details of the match, my kind of initial review before going into more detail match by match, I gave Vengeance Day a solid B. There were a total of six matches on the card. The first half of the pay-per-view, I think, was definitely the strongest and the most fun. And that includes the North American Championship match, the NXT Women's Tag Team Championship match, and then the two out of three falls match. But it's hard to explain, but the second half of the pay-per-view, which was the NXT Men's Tag Team Championships, the NXT Women's Championship match, and the NXT Men's Championship match, the second half of the pay-per-view was lackluster, and it lacked that certain energy. I couldn't explain why it was, but I was super excited, and I was invested the first half. And then as the second half was going on, it lost steam for me a little bit. But overall, I gave it a solid B, and I will get into why I did that as we go match by match. Going back to it, we opened up the pay-per-view with the North American Championship match between Wesley and Dijak. For me personally, this match was definitely the match of the night. And this match was really, really good. Wesley 
has come so far and this is his first time with the singles title in any company and he was defending it on a grander scale outside of the performance center of for NXT and of course the Dijak who is an alumni of NXT Black and Gold was coming back to challenge West for this title. As I mentioned, this was my personal match of the night, and this match specifically reminded me shades of black and gold NXT when it was at the heyday. I think this particular match was great. It was a good back and forth. There was a lot of close finishes and near falls, but the only critique I have of this match in particular is I don't think Tony D'Angelo and Stax needed to be there towards the end. When in order to distract Dijak before he entered back in the ring and Wesley got him for the clean pin and retained his title. So the result of this match is that Wesley retained the NXT North American Championship. It was later after the pay-per-view where Dijak tweeted a photo. Apparently he broke his finger at some point during the match and looked really, really gnarly. So I hope that he gets a full recovery because it seems that narratively speaking, the next stage of this match is seems to be Tony D'Angelo either entering a feud with Dijak or Tony and Wesley are going to feud. But I get the sneaking suspicion that we may have a triple threat. And if it's not on NXT TV, I hope we get a triple threat between Wesley, Tony D'Angelo, and Dijak at Stand and Deliver. But overall, this was a great way to start off Vengeance Day. And I thought this, this was my match of the night. And it was a really, really good back and forth between the two. Afterwards, the next match to go on the card was for the NXT Women's Championship, and it was champions Caden Carter and Katana Chance defending their titles against the newly formed team of Fallon Henley and Kiana James. So leading into this match, as my critique has always been of NXT's tag team women's division, they don't have an in-depth ta women's tag team roster to do these stories with. And leading into this championship match, this match was probably the one with the least builds because we had only literally had a week's build into this. Kiana James and Fallon Henley are your typical thrown together. We hate each other tag team. So these women weren't haven't been working as a tag team at all. In fact, this was their second match together as a team which narratively speaking from a booking standpoint doesn't make too much sense it is what it is and there were two things that i was expecting from this match when it started one i figured that kaden and katana would retain their championships and number two i felt that this match would be okay it wasn't going to be great but boy was i wrong on both fronts I was thoroughly surprised with this tag team match. I knew Kaden and Katana were going to do great because they have been a tag team for a very long time and they work very well together. But I have to give props to Kiana and Fallon because they worked pretty well together as a team. 
And I was really impressed with the all four women back and forth, all that good stuff. I want to also single single out Fallon Henley only because I can see her starting to grow at a good rate. She was involved in the first ever women's Iron Survivor Eliminator match back at NXT Deadline. While she did not get any pinfalls in that match, she impressed me by hanging with the likes of Roxanne Perez, Zoe Stark, Indy Hartwell. All those women, they were great, and she did really well. The second thing that proved me wrong is towards the end for the finisher, Kaden and Katana were ready to hit their finisher on Kiana James, but Katana got pushed off of the top turnbuckle, and Kiana James rolled up Kaden with Fallon Henley holding Kaden's legs and the ref didn't see to get the one, two, three pin. And your new NXT women champions are Fallon Henley and Kiana James. Now I'm really interested to see where this match goes or where this next part of the NXT women's championship match goes because Kiana and Fallon are currently the women's champion. But on the fallout episode after this, on NXT, it seems that Kaden and Katana are going to be entering a feud with Roxanne, I guess. This, again, the storytelling on NXT TV doesn't make a whole lot of sense. From a booking standpoint, you want a rematch because technically Fallon cheated and Kaden and Katana deserve a rematch. But it seems for right now, at the time of this recording, Kaden and Katana are entering a tag team match this upcoming week on NXT TV against Roxanne Perez and a returning Mako Sato. So while I do not necessarily like the direction where the story is going, because I think Kaden and Katana should still be in the title picture story and get a rematch against Kiana and Fallon, I am really excited for this tag team match because I think it's going to be good because all four women are going to be great. But more importantly, I'm super excited to see Mako Satomura back on my TV screen. So hopefully that means that she is going to be staying and she's going to be here for a little bit. So I'm really, really excited. After that, we probably had my second favorite match of the entire pay-per-view, which was the two out of three falls between Carmelo Hayes and Apollo Crews. I was really excited for this match. And what was very interesting is that commentary towards the beginning of the match, without saying too much, basically stated that the winner of this match was technically going to be the next person in line to face whoever ended up winning the NXT championship at the main event of Vengeance Day. But I digress. I think this match, for me personally, while it was good, my only critique is I felt like it went on a little too long. I think they could have shortened it like 5-10 minutes. I also didn't like how Carmelo swept the board and got two falls with Apollo not getting any at all. And then, of course, my other critique is that I felt like the return of Dabakato was not necessary and it didn't elevate or add anything to the match overall. But what I loved going into this match is that you had a story being told of a veteran and the young star who have traveled similar paths colliding in this match. You had the veteran Apollo Crews 
who was at one point in NXT in the position that Carmella was. He's like the rising star. He was he was the rising star in NXT. He was the one to watch. He got called it to the main roster and he's athletic and he can go and he can wrestle, which is awesome. And then, of course, you have Carmelo, who is the current version of Apollo. He's this hot young star who's rising the ranks of NXT. He is the one to watch. He's probably the strongest outside of a few other men on the roster for NXT. The strongest wrestler that they got right now. And so the Clash of Styles was so much fun to watch. There's a lot of high flying, a lot of reversals, a lot of near falls. Trick Williams tried to get involved, but it didn't happen. But overall, I thought this match was really, really good. This match was really fun. Again, I think it could have been shortened a little bit. Carmel, I felt like this should have been back and forth instead of Carmelo just getting two to zero. And then the return of Dabakato didn't add anything, which kind of leads into what happened after the match is that Dabakato gets into the ring, picks up Apollo like Dustin Mob because they have that history when Apollo had that awful Nigerian prince gimmick on the main roster. And then Dabakato proceeded to attack Apollo after the match, which sets up, I'm pretty sure, Dabakato versus Apollo. Now, if I'm being completely honest, I'm pretty sure we're going to get that match on TV for NXT, but I do not hope, I hope they do not extend it to stand and deliver because while I like Apollo, I don't want this match to be at stand and deliver because it'll probably end up being my pee break match if that occurs at the pay-per-view. But I digress. Minus my critiques, I thought this was a solid match between Carmelo and Apollo. And with Carmelo winning and what happened after the main event of the Vengeance Day pay-per-view, I think we're... It's unofficially, I think we have our main event for Stand to Deliver, which I'll get into when I talk about the main match. Afterwards, we have our fatal four-way for the NXT Tag Team Champions in the men's division. You have the champions of the New Day defending the titles against Chase U, which is the team of Andre Chase and Duke Hudson. Pretty deadly. And the boys of Gallus, which is being represented by Wolfgang and... I believe it's Joe Coffee. No, Mark Coffee. Because Joe, we're st- we don't know what happened to him. I was a little bit underwhelmed with this match. It started off great. But as the match progressed, I feel because there was too much chaos going on, I felt like it lacked a little bit in its impact. I was surprised that the New Day did not retain here because from a booking standpoint, to me, New Day is on a mission of good faith where they're trying to get eyes on the NXT brand. So I thought that they would retain the titles here. But oh boy, once again, I was wrong. I, again, I thought this match was good, but I felt it, d- it disappointed me a little bit because I wanted more, especially since you have New Day, Gallus, and Pretty Deadly which all three are great teams, and Chase U is also really good too. And now that I think about it, it's crazy. Vengeance Day took place in Andre Chase's home, so I was expecting them to get more bit of a shine in offense, but honestly, I forgot that Chase U was in this match, and I feel like having a fatal four-way hindered the overall delivery of this match. 
I think if you kept it as a triple threat between Pretty Deadly and Gallus, then I think it would have had a more powerful impact once the Gallus, spoiler alert, pinned Xavier Woods for them to become the new NXT Tag Team Champions. And I think instead of having a fatal four-way like they did at Vengeance Day, they should have just kept it at a triple threat between New Day, Pretty Deadly, and Gallus, because from a storytelling perspective, it made sense for what happened on NXT television a couple days later, where Pretty Deadly and Chase U had a match, and Pretty Deadly defeated Chase U and had a stare down with Gallus. So it seems that Pretty Deadly and Gallus are going to be in the title picture. I'm not sure what this means for the New Day. Are they still going to be around in NXT? Are they coming back to the main roster? I have no idea, but it sucks because New Day hasn't had the NXT tag titles for long, and it doesn't make any sense now from a storytelling perspective why they were given the titles only for them to lose them so quickly. And... It seems that Chase U is going to be out of the tag team title picture for a little bit because it seems that they're going to be entering a feud with the schism, which I'm going to wait to see how this develops. But how do I put this nicely? I think the wrestlers involved in the schism faction, I think, are great. I think Joe Gacy as a wrestler is really good. I still hate his overall character. I think... Grizzled Young Veterans are an awesome tag team. I hate what they're doing with the character. It's They should have just let them stay Grizzled Young Veterans, but whatever. And I have yet to see Ava Rain wrestle. I know she's a good talker, but then of course, spoiler alert, if you do not know, Ava Rain is The Rock's daughter, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's actual biological daughter. So I hope we get to see her wrestle sometime soon. She's got the talking chops like her daddy, but hopefully I would like to see her wrestle. But I think this feud between Chase U and the schism, I think will be OK. I'm going to stay cautiously optimistic, but we shall see because booking and character development is weird in NXT. But as I mentioned, Gallus boys are back on top. They are your new NXT champions. And it seems we're getting them versus Pretty Deadly, which I'm okay with if that is our match at Stand and Deliver. In the semi-main event of Vengeance Day, we had our triple threat for the NXT Women's Championship match. Champion Roxanne Perez defended her title against Toxic Attraction, which is made up of JC Jane and Gigi Dolan. Okay. This also was a match I was excited for going into the pay-per-view, but as the match was going on, I thought it was okay. Like Once again, I felt it under-delivered a little bit. I do want to give credit because I think all three women did amazing, but it was hard to pinpoint exactly why I didn't feel connected to this match. It felt like they were moving slow for me a little bit, and which was weird because I know all three of these women can go when need to. Of course, the story going into this is that Toxic Attraction planned on working together and then take out Roxanne so that way Gigi and JC can fight it out for the title. But as the match went on, their egos got the best of them and then it just became a free-for-all before them trying to come back together at the end where they were attempting to put Roxanne through a table. But Roxanne kicks Gigi through the table and then retains her title by pulling off a super pop rocks off the top turnbuckle 
with JC to get the pin and retain the title. The unfortunate bit for me in this match is because the fallout from Vengeance Day for the NXT Women's Championship picture is that JC and Gigi, I think, are going to have a small feud for a little bit since on the NXT following Vengeance Day, both of them were on the talk show segment Ding Dong Hello, which is featuring Bailey, where the two... A toxic attraction is officially no more. JC Jane turned on Gigi, super kicked her a la Shawn Michaels, and they are officially now going to be single stars. I'm excited because both JC has improved so much as a wrestler for the last year and a half. And of course, I love me Gigi Dolan. I know of her work on the indies. I, they're going to be great. I'm excited for this feud and I'm excited for their singles career. The only downside to come out of this whole entire match, though, is I don't personally know who is going to step up to the plate for Roxanne to face at Stand and Deliver. Now, there are a few names that come to mind. I thought there were a few names, but who knows? My first pick would have been Alba Fire. I thought her and Roxanne would be amazing, but it seems that Alba is in a tag team now with Isla Dawn, so I think they might be the next people up when it comes to the tag team titles, but I'm not sure about that. The second person that I thought would probably be next is Cora Jade because there's already that history between Roxanne and Cora Jade. As reported by Fightful, Cora Jade has taken a couple weeks off of NXT. She's also gone dark on social media. She's mentioned that she's dealing with some mental health issues. And I wish nothing but a speedy recovery for Cora. I know mental health is a big thing for a lot of wrestlers, and we want them to take care of themselves not only physically, but also make sure their emotional and their mental health needs are taken care of as well. The only name that I can think of if... WWE wants to do this correctly is that Roxanne defends her title against Mako Satomura because they are going to be tag teaming this upcoming week on NXT against Caden Carter and Katana Chance and I think that would be an amazing match the only downside to is is that if we go with Mako as Roxanne's next opponent for stand and deliver this could be a lose-lose situation because you do not want Roxanne to lose the title so early since she was the one to dethrone Mandy Rose's long title reign of NXT being an NXT Women's Champion. But you also, for me personally, I don't want to see Mako lose either because her name is legendary in the world of women's wrestling. And this woman is amazing. So I don't know how you would book this feud I would love to see Mako versus Roxanne, but if it's not Mako, honestly, I don't know if there's another woman on the NXT roster right now that can face Roxanne for the women's title, but make it a believable. And with only about a month of build between now and NXT stand to deliver, I honestly don't know what's going to happen next, but only time will tell. And we'll see what happens when it comes to the rest of NXT TV and see what direction they decide to head into. 
Finally, we end Vengeance Day with the main event, a steel cage match for the NXT Championship between champion Braun Breaker and challenger Grayson Wola. So, of all the matches on Vengeance Day card, this one probably has the most builds, but of course it was the main title, so I'm not surprised that it ended up building this way. But once again, I was it was a little bit lackluster. I thought they did okay. I, I again, I can't exactly pinpoint why I wasn't excited for this match because usually these types of matches, you want to see the craziness, you want to see the violence. And then at the start, of the pre-show was announced that the only way to win the steel cage match was to get a pinfall or submission. Escaping the cage would not do anything. So I thought, okay, cool. So they're gonna fight, and things are gonna get interesting. I felt like this was just a standard. This was just a standard match with the stipulation that there's a cage around, so they got to do extra bit. But the cage wasn't utilized as much as I thought it was going to be. And honestly, going into this match, I was fine either way. If Braun retained the title, cool. I thought Grayson Waller getting the title might have been also interesting. But again, this match was just okay. It wasn't bad. But it just felt that by this point in the pay-per-view, the second half kind of lost steam for me and everything was doing okay at best. I still thought this was a fun match, but Braun Breaker retained the title by pinning Grayson Waller. And towards the end of the pay-per-view, as it was going off, Carmelo Hayes comes out and him and Braun Breaker have a standoff. So... It has yet to be confirmed, but I'm pretty sure at NXT Stand and Deliver, we are getting Braun Breaker versus Carmelo Hayes, where I hope Carmelo takes the title from Braun, because I think he is ready to be the next men's champion in the NXT men's division, and I think Braun is ready to be called up to main roster. Overall, that is my thoughts on NXT Vengeance Day. For the first pay-per-view to, uh, to be outside of the Performance Center, I did give it a solid B. The first three matches of the pay-per-view I thought were stellar. My match of the night goes to uh, Wes Lee versus Dijak for the NXT North American Championship. And while no match was god-awful or terrible, I will have to say I think my least favorite match on the card will probably have to be the main event only because it was lackluster and I wanted more from a steel cage match, especially if it's going to main event your card. But the next NXT pay-per-view that is to come out this year is NXT Stand and Deliver, which will take place on Saturday, April 1st in Los Angeles during WrestleMania weekend. And I'm really excited because ya boy as well as the other co-hosts here on the Biconics Mini. The two of us are going to be going to WrestleMania and Stand and Deliver so we can give a live perspective. So I'm really excited to go to Stand and Deliver in person, and we shall see what that goes. Okay. Now that Vengeance Day is out of the way, really quickly, the remainder of this episode is going to be reviewing, or actually previewing, what is coming up for the next couple of weeks in terms of pay-per-view. So I'm going to quickly go over three different pay-per-views happening in the next couple of weeks. 
I'm going to first cover New Japan's Battle of the Valley, what that card looks like, talk about some of the matches, as I'm not all that well-versed in New Japan yet. I will also be going over Impact's No Surrender pay-per-view, which is happening in two weeks at the end of February at the time of this recording. And then I will talk about the Elimination Chamber, which is happening at the time of this recording in a couple of days. So things are going to get very interesting. And unfortunately, JVL could not be here for the recording. I am excited to get his perspective on Elimination Chamber because he is going to be at that pay-per-view live in person in Montreal. So this is going to be very, very fun. But let us start with New Japan. So on February 17th in San Jose, California, we will have... New Japan's Battle in the Valley. And this card looks really, really good. So once again, I'll go over the card and then talk about some of the matches I think are going to be interesting. So for Battle in the Valley, the final card for New Japan is as follows. For the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, you have champion Kazuchika Okada versus challenger Hiroshi Tanahashi. For the Strong Openweight Championship, you have Fred Rosser versus Kenta. For the strong openweight tag team championship match, you have the Motor City Machine Guns versus the West Coast Wrecking Crew. In a four-on-four tag team match, you have Mascara Dorada with Josh Alexander, Adrian Quest, and Rocky Romero taking on the team of Kushida, Kevin Knight, Volador Jr., and the DKC. You have Alex Coughlin versus J.R. Kratos. You have David Finley versus Bobby. Folks, where is the live fish? Get, I don't understand the name change, but whatever. For the IWGP Women's Championship, you have champion Kyrie taking on newcomer Mercedes Monet, a.k.a. Sasha Banks. You have Eddie Keekston versus the Switchblade Jay White. For the New Japan World Television Championship, you have Zack Sabre Jr. defending the title against Clark Connors. And in a Filthy Rules match, you have Homicide taking on Filthy Tom Lawler. So alone, this mat, this pay-per-view I'm really excited for for a couple of reasons. I think all the matches are going to be interesting. One thing to note is that on this card, I'm very interested in seeing that some of these matches include impact wrestlers like Motor City Machine Guns will be defending their strong open weight tag team championship in the match against the West Coast Wrecking Crew. And then you have Impact World Champion Josh Alexander teaming up with Mascara Dorado, Adrian Quest, and Rocky Romero. But it does make sense because it was recently announced that New Japan and Impact are doing a show on March 30th leading into WrestleMania weekend called Multiverse United. Only the Strong Survive, which is going to be a joint pay-per-view show with Impact and New Japan. And announced for those is... So far is Josh Alexander taking on Kushida, but the one match I'm already looking forward to announce is Will Ospreay versus Speedball Mike Bailey. Ooh, I'm so excited. It's going to be good. It's going to be a busy WrestleMania weekend watching that Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor, and then, of course, being at NXT Stand and Deliver, and then two nights of WrestleMania is going to be a good time. But I digress. Initially, looking at the card for Battle in the Valley, obviously, I'm really excited to see Okada versus Tanahashi. I think that is going to be an excellent match. 
I'm excited to see the Motor City Machine Guns taking on the West Coast Wrecking Crew. I think the more the match that I'm very interested in to see how well this debut match goes for Mercedes Monet is, of course, the IWGP Women's Champion. I am excited because there is a history between Kyrie and Mercedes, and both of them have worked together when they were in WWE. But I'm interested to see what kind of match they have. And I do hope that they are given time for this match because that was one of my critiques when Kyrie took uh, when Kyrie defended the title at Wrestle Kingdom and they were only given about seven minutes, I believe, was the total time. It was a good seven minutes, but I hope this women's championship match gets more time. And then, of course, Eddie Kingston versus Jay White. I'm excited. Eddie Kingston's freaking crazy. Jay White is awesome, and I'm really, really excited. Again, I don't have too much thoughts and feelings on this as I'm still making my way into the world of New Japan and slowly trying to watch it religiously as I do with Impact, AEW, and WWE. But I am looking forward to this one. If you want to watch New Japan's Battle in the Valley, you can watch it by signing up on New Japan World and they have English and Japanese commentary team. So whichever one you want to watch. So it's the equivalent of watching sub versus dub. For those of you who watch anime, you know what I'm talking about. But I think it's going to be a good time. And that takes place on Saturday, February 18th. Now, the next pay-per-view I quickly want to talk about is impacts no surrender pay-per-view which is going to be taking place on friday february 24th at the time of this recording only six matches have been announced so far and many more will probably be made at in the next coming weeks leading into no surrender so i want to quickly go over the card for that and give my thoughts of which matches i'm excited for i'm going to start out with Deanna Parazzo versus Giselle Shaw. I think this match is going to be fun. Giselle Shaw is now slowly picking up some wins on Impact. And Deanna Parazzo is always amazing in the ring. So I think this is going to be a good match. In a six-man tag team match, you have Time Machine, which is the Motor City Machine Guns and Kushida. And they will be taking on the Bullet Club. Now, I'm really excited for this match, and I'm going to explain why. Because the Bullet Club team is made up of Impact Wrestlers Ace Austin and Chris Bay. I think both of those two are awesome. They did amazing in the junior tag team tournament in New Japan a couple months ago. But I'm really excited for this match because this is going to be the Impact debut for Kenta. And if you have no idea who Kenta is, he is a staple in New Japan Wrestling. And I think this is going to be a good match between these six men. Next is a fatal four-way to determine the new number one contender for the Impact World Championship match. So while it has not been said, I believe this number one contender is match is going to lead to who is going to face the impact world champion at no at ice in March for impact. And as of right now, the time of this recording, it's Brian Myers versus PCO versus Steve Macklin or Rhino, depending on who wins that qualifying match versus Eddie Edwards or Heath in their qualifying match. 
If I have to make some predictions, I think the final participants in this match are going to be Brian Myers taking on versus PCO versus Steve Macklin versus Eddie Edwards. I think this is going to be a good match. Now, I can see two possibilities here, if I'm being completely honest, as who's going to win this match. I think the smart choice for Impact is to have Steve Macklin win. The reason being is that Macklin has been picking up wins back to back to back, and he's pretty much taken out most of the roster, but he continues to have to jump to hoops to finally get his championship match at with Josh Alexander. But he has to jump through this. And I think the smart choice is for him to win. But then do you have him take the title off of Josh at sacrifice? Or do you give it to the second choice, Eddie Edwards, run Josh versus Eddie one more time at sacrifice? And then you have Steve Macklin and Josh face each other at rebellion in April. I think those are really two the really the only two choices I think that makes sense to me. I honestly don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm excited to see what's going on with that. Now, this next match, I was a little annoyed because they announced this match for the pre-show, and I think this match should be on the main card, but it's going to be a good match nonetheless. You have Speedball Mike Bailey taking on new signee of Impact Wrestling, Jonathan Gresham. Child, when I tell you this match is going to be good because these two are great technical wrestlers. Jonathan Gresham has slowly become one of my favorites over the last two years. Seeing his work in Ring of Honor and the stuff he has done in AEW for a little bit. I'm really excited to see what this match brings. And of course, Speedball Mike Bailey was involved in one of my favorite matches towards the tail end of 2022, that hour-long match that he and Josh Alexander had, the Impact World Championship. I think this match is great. I wish it wasn't on the pre-show, but it's going to be a good one nonetheless. Alrighty. So, what I'm assuming is going to be probably the semi-main event for the Impact Knockouts World Championship. You have champion Mickey James taking on Masha Slamovich. I think this match is going to be really good. It's going to be hard-hitting because Masha can go, Mickey can go. I'm very interested to see what happens. I because Masha has Masha has had two Impact Knockouts Championship title matches in the last couple of months, and both of them were against former champion Jordan Grace. Masha lost at Bound for Glory, and then she also lost in the last knockout standing match at Hard to... What was it? Not Bound for Glory. The pay-per-view after... Oh, Overdrive. Jordan Grace and Masha had that last knockout standing match at Overdrive, where Masha lost. So I don't know if you have Masha take another loss here, but who knows, because it is against Mickey James. Technically, it's not the same person that she's losing to. But at some point, you have to figure if Masha's ready to take the title. It's just a matter of when. So I don't know what's going to end up happening. I think Mickey's going to retain here, but I wouldn't be mad if Masha wins it. But if Masha loses, I think she should take the title at Rebellion, which is like the big pay-per-view. But we'll see what happens with that. And as of right now, the last match that has been announced so far is for the Impact World Championship with Josh Alexander taking on Rich Swan. These two, I think, are going to have a fantastic match. 
Obviously, I think it's a no-brainer. Josh is going to retain the title here, but I think it's going to be an entertaining match. At the time of this recording, the only two... I think there's going to be two more matches here. One for the tag team ti- for the knockouts tag team titles, and then the other for the X division title. So for the tag titles, for the knockouts division, I think it's going to be Death Dolls taking on the Hex, who just made their Impact debut this past week, which I think is going to be fun. And then, of course, the X division match. I think it's going to be Trey Miguel champion taking on Crazy Steve of Decay. I think that match is also going to be good. But again, they have not officially been announced. This is just my speculation. But I am excited if that ends up on the final card for No Surrender. Finally, let's get into the meat and potatoes. So the last thing that I want to discuss for this particular episode is previewing Elimination Chamber for WWE. This pay-per-view also takes place on Saturday, February 18th, the same night as New Japan's Battle in the Valley. So your boy and the rest of the Biconics are going to have their hands full watching all these pay-per-views. I will be watching Elimination Chamber live with a couple of friends. And JBL, as mentioned in the beginning of this episode, will be in person for Elimination Chamber, which is going to be taking place in Montreal, Canada, or Canada. So let's go over what has been announced so far. First up, we have Edge and Beth Phoenix taking on Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley of Judgment Day in a mixed tag team match. I think this is going to be a fun match. Obviously, Judgment Day is going to take the win here, but the question is if who is going to get the win? I think speculation is that Bria is going to get the pin, which makes sense because you want to keep building Rhea up as she's going to be facing Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown Women's Championship at WrestleMania. But I would also be okay if Finn, but in my opinion, Judgment Day has to win here because every time that Judgment Day has gone up against Edge in whatever iteration over the last year, other than the... I quit match at Extreme Rules. The Judgment Day has lost every single time against Edge. So I think Judgment Day needs to win this one in order to keep Rhea looking strong, but also keep Judgment Day looking like a strong faction. But we shall see what happens with that. Okay. Then we have our two Elimination Chamber matches, which I think are going to be a good time. I think the two chain. The men's one, I think, is there just because they needed a men's one, which is okay with me. The women's one actually has some stakes involved, which I'll get into a little bit. But I want to start with the men's elimination chamber. So this men's elimination chamber is going to be for the WWE United States Championship. So in this match, you have champion Austin Theory, who is going to be defending the title against Seth Rollins, Johnny Gargano. Bronson Reed, Damian Priest, and Montez Ford. I think, and for me, this is a no-brainer. I think Austin Theory is going to retain his title, but I think this is going to be a fun match because you have a variety of wrestlers. I think the one wrestler that everyone needs to be on the lookout for in this match is going to be Montez Ford because this is technically, in my opinion, this is his first breakout singles match 
And I think he's going to have a strong showing here. Ultimately, I think it's going to come down between Montez, Austin, and Seth. But I think Montez will get eliminated. And then it will be Seth versus Austin Theory. And I think Austin will... I, I don't know if Austin wins through some shenanigans or if Austin beats Seth Rollins clean. But I do not see Austin losing the United States Championship. Because if rumors are to be believed, he and John Cena will have a match at WrestleMania. But I have, there's no confirmed report of that match is actually happening. But I do know for sure, I think Austin Theory is a safe bet that he's going to retain the title in that Elimination Chamber match. On the women's side, this women's Elimination Chamber is to become the number one contender to face Bianca Belair at WrestleMania for the WWE Raw Women's Championship. So the winner of this women's match will punch their ticket to WrestleMania to face Bianca for the Raw Women's title. So you have Asuka versus Liv Morgan versus Nikki Cross versus Raquel Rodriguez versus Natalia versus a returning Carmella. I love that Carmella is back on my TV screen. More importantly, I love seeing her back in her Staten Island Mella is Money gimmick, which is one of my personal famous favorite iterations of Carmella. Again, I feel like the winner should be obvious. Now, there are two choices I think for me personally, I think if you want to have a strong showing at WrestleMania, I think there are two people, in my opinion, that need to win. The obvious choice for me of who I think should win this match is Asuka, especially now that she is in her Kana iteration of her character. I think the safe bet and I think the smartest decision in this case would for WWE to have Asuka win and have Bianca lose the title to this new version of Asuka at WrestleMania, which I think is okay because Bianca has had this title for a while. And I think having her lose to Asuka, I think, is okay. And I think this is going to be a stellar match. And if Bianca ends up facing Asuka, I think this is going to be a good litmus test for Bianca to see if she can carry herself not only in the promo battle, but having to be a little bit smarter and more aggressive in her offense, taking on someone like Asuka. My second choice, if it is not Asuka, I think should be Raquel Rodriguez. Now, while these reports have not been confirmed quite yet, I do realize that Raquel and Ronda Rousey were supposed to have a longer title program. But because with Charlotte Flair returning and Ronda wanting to go into the tag team division with Shayna, things got moved around. So I think between Asuka, I think the other choice should be Raquel for me. I think that would be a nice different feud. This is a match that we have yet to see that we didn't get in NXT. And I think this would be a good match between Raquel and Bianca. Now I could see Liv Morgan winning. And while I personally am a Liv Morgan unapologetic stan here, I think having her go back in the title picture too soon, I think might backfire a little bit. So therefore, I think the safe choice is Asuka, but I would also love to see Raquel go to WrestleMania. But those are my two picks. Every, anything else is going to be a little difficult to build credibility for them to actually be a challenge. But I think my prediction is going to be Asuka is going to win that match and is going to take it. Now, the main event of Elimination Chamber 
while it has yet to be announced, I think this is what it's going to be. You have Roman Reigns defending the undisputed WWE Universal Championship against Sami Zayn. I, from a storytelling perspective, I am really excited for this match. I personally think I know how the end result's going to be with Roman retaining the titles. And of course, him and Cody are going to face each other at WrestleMania. But I'm interested to see what story bits happen because as of right now, after the Royal Rumble, Sami Zayn is no longer part of the bloodline after take, uh, hitting Roman Reigns with the chair. After the beatdown of Kevin Owens at the end of the match at Royal Rumble. And it sucks because I wanted to talk about this promo between Paul Heyman and Cody and Paul Heyman and Sami Zayn this week on Raw and SmackDown, respectively. I think WWE did a good job of making both opponents feel equal in terms of importance when it comes to the championship matches they're going to have. I do believe WWE needs to be careful because they have this tightrope they have to walk because Sami Zayn is really hot right now and the Bloodline storyline is the hottest story that has happened in WWE over the last couple years. And... I'm interested to see what happens, what gets built from it. But ultimately, I think Roman is going to retain the titles. And I'm interested to see how WWE navigates this, because if rumors are true, according to some sources, we're going to end up there. Are, we're ending up with Sammy going to be challenging for the tag titles at WrestleMania. Now, I don't know if it's going to be Sammy and Kevin Owens teaming up against the Usos. Other reports say it's going to be Jay and Sammy taking on Solo and Jimmy for the titles. But who knows? I'm really excited to see where the story goes for this one and what ends up happening for the build to WrestleMania. Now, the last match that's on the card that has yet to be confirmed, but it has been heavily rumored based on what happens on this previous episode of Raw. It has yet to be confirmed, but the fifth and final match for Elimination Chamber is going to be Damage Control, which is the faction of Bailey, EO Sky, and Dakota Kai will be taking on Becky Lynch, returning Lita, and rumored returning Trish Stratus in a three-on-three women's tag team match. I think this is going to be a fun match. Obviously, I think you... Now, it's going to be interesting because it is in Canada. I think Becky is going to win, which I think is going to set up Becky versus Bailey at WrestleMania in just a singles match without a title, which I think is good because I believe not every story needs to have a title involved. So a one-off singles match at WrestleMania I think will be good. Becky and Bailey have worked many, many matches together with each other, against each other. And I think it's going to be stellar. And I think this is going to be a fun match to see Lita and Trish teaming up with Becky. Because Lita versus Becky last year was a lot of fun to watch. And I think this is going to be a good feeling show. Especially for the since it's going to be in Montreal. Having that big pop of a lot of the hometown stars in this pay-per-view. I think it's going to be beneficial. And send the crowd home happy. I think this is going to be a fun match. I think Elimination Chamber has the possibility of being a really good one. I thought the Rumble was really good. And I think this is going to be a good pay-per-view. And I'm hoping that it's great. Because 
by the time Elimination Chamber is over, there is not another WWE pay-per-view until WrestleMania. So once Elimination Chamber is over, we have six weeks from February 18th to build towards WrestleMania. So obviously, we have some of our championship matches already established, but I'm interested to see what other matches are made, especially with what is being reported and what kind of events are going to happen. But that is going to be it for this episode of the Biconics. It was a relatively short one, given the fact that I'm the only one here doing all the talking. But I would like to thank everybody for listening. I know it's not the same with it's just me talking the entire time, but I appreciate everyone being here. So that is going to conclude this episode of the Biconics. When we come back for the next one, oh, it's going to be a stacked show because next episode, we're going to, on top of talking about some wrestling news as well as some of our favorite TV matches that happened over the last couple of weeks between recordings. When we come back for the next episode, we are going to be covering a lot. We're going to go over Battle in the Valley as well as Impact's No Surrender. But as a crew, we're also going to be reviewing not only WWE Elimination Chamber, but we're also going to be reviewing AEW's first pay-per-view of 2023 Revolution. So from all of us here at Vibe Tribe Production, as well as the Biconics Wrestling Podcast, Remember, take care of each other, love one another, and as always, let the good times roll. Until the next episode, we'll see you later. Ta-ta for now.